Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Matt Hewlett. Matt is a seasoned technology executive with more than 30 years of experience building and leading world-class SaaS and consumer companies. Matt has led the growth of companies in the private and public sectors, including Rosetta Stone, Real Networks, Expedia, and many more. He has had multiple turnaround successes as a public company president, as well as a private company CEO. As president of Rosetta Stone, Matt is responsible for driving the transformation and growth for all aspects of the company's consumer and enterprise and education language businesses. Matt has led the company's evolution from a declining perpetual business to a thriving software subscription business. Matt is a husband, he's a father, he's an avid runner, and a comic book collector. He is also proud to be a fourth-generation Pacific Northwest native. Me too. Well, I don't know if I'm fourth generation, but I I think I'm third. So welcome, Matt. So good to see you. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So I'm glad that you told me that you've listened before, so then you know I'm going to hit you with some rapid-fire questions to begin. You ready? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Ready. So I loved researching your background. You have just an incredible um, incredible experience as a leader. So I'm curious what word best describes you as a leader? Tenacious. Are you trail or treadmill, treadmill runner? Are you like outside um, or inside on, on the running? I'm promiscuous pace? on both. Oh. I like both. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Are you 7 a.m. or 7 p.m.? 7 a.m. And who's your favorite musician or band? Oh, boy. It's a tough I, one, I, right? all time, I'd say Wilco, but what I listen, mm-hmm. I listen to Khalid now. I love Khalid. Yeah. Love, I went to the Khalid concert. Yeah. Oh, wow. Amazing, amazing. So speaking of which, what was your first concert? I think I, it was either, I, my mom took me to bumper shoot when I was a kid and saw James Brown. So Ooh, James good. Brown played yeah. bumper shoot? Yeah, long time oh, ago. Go yeah. Seattle, very yeah. impressive. And what is your most valuable comic book? I don't know if that's even the right question. I just know that there's like value in comic book collection. Uh, I, I think probably the one that matters the most to me is the Dark Knight Returns comic book by Frank Miller that kind of brought back the Batman franchise. It tells yeah. the tale of an aging, war-torn Batman. Okay, so how did you get into all that? Like, I mean, I'm obviously going to start off like little boy, Matt. Like, are you always been into this comic books or is this in your later years? Always, always, always Batman. Always Batman. Yeah. What What is it about Batman that you're so drawn to that character? I don't know. It's probably a therapy session we don't have time for today, but um, it has something to do with, I, I do like the fact that he's one of the few superheroes that doesn't have superpowers. Um, okay. I never even thought about that. I have a few guy friends who are really into all the superhero movies yeah. and I just kind of shut down from it. I don't know why, but I get like, oh, I don't understand it. There's so much to it. There's, and they try to tell me there's so many layers and so much character development. You would love it if you just get into it. So that alone is a good like little little yeah. nugget. He's emotionally fractured and you know he's about self-improvement but he's inherently flawed because he feels guilty about his parents' death. So there's there's so many layers to him mm-hmm. psychologically. Are you uh, like that? Are you do you feel like you're uh, psychologically what is the word that you used? Tormented? <laughs> fractured. Fractured. Nah, I don't know. I don't know about that. But I think it's interesting to see a case study in someone like that and how they manifest yeah. that into something positive. Yeah. It's interesting because as I've been doing the podcast and having different people from totally different backgrounds on it, and everybody's got, you know, some have childhoods that have been incredibly challenging and difficult and would attribute a lot of their success to overcoming some of those obstacles. Um, What about you? Like, what was your childhood like? 
Yeah, you know, I, I grew up largely on the Olympic Peninsula. You know, I moved around to places like Port Townsend and Oak Harbor. Uh, my dad was, uh, for the majority of his career, with the same bank, and that bank was primarily located in the Olympic Peninsula, so we moved around quite a bit. Yeah. And then uh, my parents divorced when I was in fifth grade, and oh, then geez. moved to Juanita Kirkland um, when I was in sixth grade. Yeah, that's a big year to make that type of move as a kid. Yeah, coming it in was. as the as the new guy. Do you have siblings? I do. I have a younger brother, uh, two and a half years younger, and that was a really tumultuous time uh, for us because my brother actually was hit by a car at the tail end of my sixth grade year and, and actually almost died. He's he's with us today, but that was oh my a very gosh. tumultuous year to say the least. I can only imagine you're like here. I am fifth grade trying to like. You know, obviously you've got all the hormones and you're going into middle school and then your your brother gets hit by a car that's like so traumatizing. Were it your was. parents were your parents um good about making sure that I mean nowadays if something like that happened, it would be like get him right into therapy, get him right into like working through it all. But I feel like when we were being raised, that wasn't really a thing. It was just kind of like muscle through it. It was pretty much muscle through it, not not through an unempathetic perspective, but I don't think those were even those yeah, those weren't the resources yeah. that were around back then. No, I mean, I actually, um, it was right in front of Juanita Beach, and I actually ran out and saw him on the ground. He was in a body oh cast for about five months. Oh, geez. Yeah, that, yeah. that type of image does not leave. I can understand why that's super stressful. And so were there people um, kind of giving you support outside of your parents at the time, or like any teachers or relatives who kind of influenced and shaped you? Yeah, I, to be honest, my, I'm very close with my mom and we're very close as a family and there were certainly family friends, but, you know, then we moved again from Monty Kirkland to Lake Forest Park of all places. So then we had a completely new beginning there and had to kind of rebuild a friend group. So it was, it was kind of odd that we moved to this new place from the Olympic Peninsula to Kirkland and to Lake Forest Park. So it was a lot of change all at once. Mm -hmm. I think maybe reflecting upon that, you know, the reason why I do like different challenges and chaos, I like to put order to chaos is I've had, you know, some chaos in my upbringing. Yeah. And are you the, per are you that person in your family too, to kind of bring order and bring some sort of um, like North star like, Hey guys, we're going in this direction to the family. Yeah. I think my, 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 my wife would argue that sometimes I bring the chaos as well. Like I, mm -hmm. I can't handle not having the chaos cause I'm just used to it, but yeah, yeah I, do really like putting process and planning around chaotic situations. I, I really do enjoy that. Yeah. And are you the kind of person who, when you're like working um, in an environment, um, I know that you've kind of been hired by different companies over time to be the kind of fix it person. Are you the kind of person who once it's fixed, you get a little bored and itchy? Uh, I think empirically you'd say yes. If you looked at my career, mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I do, I do tend to like to come in and fix things and do something else. And I think primarily too, the other thing that drives me is I just like to learn about other businesses. Yeah. Well, you've got such a cool wide variety of industries that you've been in and you got to go deep at your level in, in having like deep knowledge of those industries. So that's kind of cool. And so when you were little, what were you kind of driven by or fueled by? Yeah, I think it changed. I think when I was a kid, I, I was always a driven kid, always intense, had a had a temper um, that I've I think I've learned over time to quell a little bit. But um, very gregarious, very adventurous. And I think as I got a little bit older, I got a little bit more serious. Mm -hmm. um, but then I was definitely influenced when I by the time we made that move to Lake Forest Park, you know, I definitely started getting influenced by. Um, I, I still call him my coach. My my coach in running became kind of my coach in life. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So from seventh grade to my senior year in um, high school, Coach Pat Tyson, who's actually the winningest coach in the NCAA at Gonzaga and was um, uh, the roommate of running legend Steve Prefontaine, became a really big figure in my life. Oh, that's incredible. Isn't it yeah. amazing? Like, I mean, just now, obviously, you and I both have kids. And when you think about our childhoods, that's why I love to ask these types of questions, because I do feel like it's it's a whole missed opportunity to not learn from people about 
that one person or those two people or the time that that one person said that sentence to you that stuck with you? You know, what was it about you that he was drawn to or vice versa? He was insane. I mean, he was insanely enthusiastic and insanely enthusiastic about everyone on the team, whether you're the best performer or the worst performer. And mm -hmm. I always admired that. I remember him just literally staying to the end of a match and cheering on the, the worst runner like it was a state first place win. And it, mm. it was always amazing to me. He did these crazy things motivationally that I definitely started to adopt. Like he'd crank uh, Queen, we are the champions with the lights off and showing their very inspirational pictures before we'd run. Mm. And, you know, doing all these things kind of to mentally get us in the right position to win. And we won state just about every year. Um, there was just a thing around the attitude around winning mm -hmm. and also the attitude attitude around losing, being a good sports person and also cheering on everyone regardless of the outcome. Yeah. Um, drove excellence as well, but thinking comprehensively about what re running meant to the team and those individuals that may not have been in first place right. just profoundly changed me. Yeah, I can see that. And, um, you know, the psychology around sports, I was a college athlete and, and, you know, half of the coaching really was about that visualization and the attitude and this kind of, um, obviously the sportsmanship is important, but just, just understanding what it's like to work hard and to have the grit and to have uh, somebody pushing you outside of your limits, right? It's just so... I love to hire athletes too, because I do feel like there is a little something that's relatable in that, um, that drive, right? Yeah, he was insane. I mean, he used to say, there's two things that stuck with me that I think may be interesting for people listening is one, he'd always say, we're sprinting to the start line. Mm -hmm. And second is we always run 10 feet past the finish line. Like complete things, like completely, like that type of message. Yeah, complete what you started and, and finish strong. Yeah. When I yeah. actually took the job at Rosetta Stone, he actually Facebook's messaged me and said, Matt, don't be a wimp. <laughs> Wait, what did he say? Don't be a hero in the beginning of the race and don't be a wimp at the end. I love it. He sounds incredible. He's That's incredible. really neat that you have that. And so what did you want to be when you were little? We all, I mean, I can't, I used to want to be in, uh, you know, events for sporting events or something. I wanted to like work for the Sonics. <laughs> Interesting. What did you want to be when you were little? Um... Yeah, I think two things. When I was really young, an astronomer, when I got a little bit older, a talk show host. Oh, you'd be good. You've got, definitely got a good voice. We have done, <laughs> I think I've done like 80 of these podcasts now, and we're not doing it on video, so it's now I'm extra listening to your voice, and you've got a great voice. Thank you. There's still 2.0 or 3.0, Matt. You could do like, I don't know, a radio show or host a podcast. I, Maybe you become a podcast guy. I, I would love it. Actually, I, I did do a Cairo show that we ended up not not airing but i had this wonderful corporate coach co-host and it was the only way to describe it was like um remember love line with dr drew and yeah and i loved that it was like love line for business and of course i was more adam carolla and anyways it was a great show and then cairo was going to put us on for like it was like a sponsored show and then they raised the rates but it, i i yeah. really got into it being in the i studio. can see it yeah. I can see it. Yeah, you've got a great voice. So how, what took you to UW? I mean, what a great school. Now looking back, I'm like, it's so impossible to get into these days. But just reading up and that you studied marketing and information systems and were close in age, I'm like, I don't think I had anybody telling me that information systems was a thing. <laughs> like, How did you even know to study that? It's a good question. I mean, I, it's only later in life I, I was told by my mom I was dyslexic after college, which made a heck of a lot of sense. It would have been making some of these decisions in my career a little bit easier in my college career. Hmm. But I just knew that computers was something that I should focus on. And I would say at the UW, there's a big focus on kind of these older programming languages like COBOL. When it started getting into some of these older programming languages, I didn't get as interested. But I knew that I should get into computers at some point. It was kind of a late bloomer in in computers and then actually started doing an internship in my junior year of um, University of Washington at a company called WRQ, mm. uh, which was another transformational moment because I, I got my feet wet um, working in the software industry and, a, and it was a really great company, one of the best places to work, you know, voted repeatedly uh, and almost like a family atmosphere. So it was a really great place to start my software career. 
Yeah, and you ended up working there right out of school, right? Yeah, I took the internship into a product management job and ended up running a, a little product team. In fact, that product is still around. I mean, I I, I must say most of the things, I, I, I don't want to embellish and say everything I've ever been associated with is still around, but I believe so. Even the product that I adopted as a young product manager in the early 90s is still around and operating. That's incredible. I mean, early 90s is like what, a whole different <laughs> deal. When you think about it now, it's unbelievable to think back and think of how far we've come. And I try to tell my kids, um, you know, how great it was to be like raised in the 70s and then 80s. And I feel like our generation has this awesome kind of um, lens through which to look at everything. Just like we knew what things were like pre-technology and post. And Gosh, sometimes I miss um, I miss the days before technology. But when you see a good product and then it actually is sustainable, that's incredible. And so you've worked for some really cool companies. I mean, really cool and had some amazing jobs. Is there a, a theme as far as how you assess a company before accepting a job with them? You know, it's a lot of serendipity, to be honest. Um, and I'm a big believer... I'm more of a believer in serendipity and being more, I, I'm going to sound very woo-woo, but I think I've gotten a little bit more woo-woo in my older age, mm -hmm. just being more associated, you know, figuring out energy and figuring out the types of people I want to be around. It becomes really important to me. I think all of us, as we get older, it's, it's not necessarily the job, it's who you're working with and for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. And you're early in your career, you, you know, you don't have as many choices. You maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. But for me, you know, I think some of those moments really did transform me. Even moments where I thought maybe not the right career move, actually, unbeknownst to me, were super helpful for me to take the next step, you mm -hmm. know, learning a new market, a new market or, or a new function better. Yeah. You know, like, for example, Adam Films, it was a heavily funded startup here in, in Seattle, and then we sold it to a Macromedia spinoff called Shockwave and became Adam Shockwave. We had you know, Mike Moritz, who's one of the most renowned investors on the planet, with Sequoia Capital on our board, and you know, just phenomenal people around that company, and that's how I got to meet Rich Barton. You know, those types of situations I could not have planned, but ended up becoming kind of the next chapter of my career, like starting Expedia through my connection with Rich. And I just think serendipity plays such a large, uh, right. large role in your life. Oh, completely. And also just the, putting yourself in a position to intersect more That's frequently right. with people and every decision that I've made. And I'm curious about you. Uh, mine has been much more gut um, than deep analysis. And sometimes when I hire people, I tell them to go out and do the, all the analysis so that they can come back with complete conviction that like my company is the one that they want because they've done all the research. Because I would not naturally be inclined to do a ton of research and, and back channel all sorts of things. I just kind of go on gut. Are you the same way or do you like to kind of analyze things? Um, I probably overanalyzed when I was younger. I used to you know, be very deterministic about, you know, what's in my, what's in my tombstone and have kind of a plan for my life. And was very kind of, you mentioned like Alex P. Keaton from Family Ties, there's mm -hmm. a dated reference, you know, very kind of that kind of person. Um, but and what, what, what do you think would have been on it? And what do you, what do you want to be on it? Your tombstone? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I was definitely more egotistical about being on the cover of a certain magazine. And now, it doesn't really matter to me. It really matters more around it professionally that everyone on my team can actually be lifted up in their careers and be better off being associated with something that we're working together on versus fiscal gain, to be honest. Yeah, that totally makes sense to me. And then with my, with my family too, it's, it's less about what I do and I'm more interested in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, that's, I think, a very interesting transformation for me over time. And I think you, you kind of move from, you know, if you're raised primarily by, by my mom and taking care of my brother and my mom being kind of the parental figure. Um, I put a lot of, I put a lot of um, stress on myself and when yeah. I take on a team, you know, I want I view it as very much like my family and that these, these folks um, are under my care. And so it becomes very personal for me as well. 
Yeah, I can completely appreciate that. And so are there things that you've taken from all of these different experiences and been able to put to words um, kind of how you would assess a company culture? Like you talk about energy. Um, obviously there's lots of companies who talk about the things like great ping pong or the bagels on Friday or whatever they're talking about. Um, but what things do you look for as far as culture, either in assessing it before you join or in creating it? Mm, it's a really good question. Yeah. And I, I actually have not to be verbose, which is one of my qualities <laughs> is, you know, I do have somewhat of a structure in how I review a company and I, I have framed it like the core, what's the core inside of the business? What's the heart of the business and what is the math of the business? And I think what you're asking is, how do I assess the heart of the business? And, you know, for me, you know, the, a lot of companies have culture and it's, you know, they have like the three to four things they write down as like their values, like we're passionate, we're customer centric. Yeah. And those are the, those are the words. And then what I really pay attention to is um, how do people live and, and follow those words? What are the social norms of, of following those, those words? And there's like little tricks you can, as you're entering in a company and playing around with, you know, the idea enticed by the idea of working at a company, there's little things you can see even from the coming into the front door of a business. Well, when we used to do that, um, <laughs> that you can tell like just how, how the uh, front desk person, if they have one is greeting people. Uh, how are you treated when you first come into the lobby all the way to, you know, how are meetings conducted and how people operate? I mean, I remember I actually didn't get this job. I remember look, interviewing at Airbnb Mm. And just getting a tr just a tr profound sense of how strong the culture was and how everyone was aligned to specific cultural values. And it was very clear that they hired people against those cultural values and they could articulate them very clearly. And it's just those types of things I think you you look for when you're looking at aligning yourselves with a business. And the other thing I would say before I forget is, you know, when someone is trying to articulate their cultural values, I always like colloquial cultural values because people say, you know, integrity is a cultural value. Well, I don't think there's any company on the planet that says integrity is not a cultural value. Right. Um, I think colloquial to me means that somebody, a team or the leader themselves thought very thoughtfully about specific things that make this business work. That's very different than any other business. And so I tend to look for colloquial cultural values as well. I can appreciate that. And it, what's interesting is that you would think that people put a lot more intention and are much more deliberate about things like culture, um, you know, cultural values, or even like in my, in my line of work, like job descriptions, you know, um, they don't realize that people are really looking at these things. Mm -hmm. And they, if I say like, how'd you come up with this job description? Oh, I found it on the internet. Or like, you know, if you're talking about values, sometimes people are like, oh, I just kind of like looked around at different companies. I was like, oh yeah, that one makes sense for me. Um, versus mm -hmm. having it kind of come from the inside out um, and not looking to the exterior for some sort of like inspiration. Um, anyway, I could talk about culture for a very long time. It's something that I is really important to, to us and I know to you also. Um, so what, what would you say you attribute your success to, like your ninja skill? Because you're obviously kind of um, like a hired gun, um, mm -hmm. but you can't be all things to all people. So if I had to say, if I was back channel reference checking you, what would people kind of most commonly um, say about you or what words would they use to describe you? Uh, good question. I, I, I do. It's funny. People do think, call me a hired gun these days. Um, um, and I, and I get the, I get this visual when people say that of like me in a gray suit with a sniper <laughs> gun and a briefcase, which is not how I associate myself. Uh, um, I'm more like Nanny McPhee, you know, the, the storybook character, like she only shows up when the kids are really horrible and then she leaves when everything's fine. Maybe that's more what yeah. I am, Nanny yeah. McPhee, yeah. Well, you also have to be, I mean, in order to be the hired gun, I always think like half that battle is getting um, getting buy-in and getting influence, having influence over people, like coming in and not coming in like a hammer, but just like a velvet hammer. Like, let me just try to like really, uh, there's a lot of nuance to being in that type of role. 
It's funny. I actually have used that term velvet hammer before. I thought that was mine. <laughs> you can, well, maybe the, maybe the entire it, Northwest it generation is influenced by you. I mean, it could be. It yeah, could just I, do, be I that. feel like we have actually known each other for a long time, but we, it does we don't feel know like each that. other. I yeah. know. I know. Well, we're old school. Well, we're new. We're new old BFFs. That's good. That's right. So, so tell me for, for real though, what is your ninja skill? Like if I was working next year, I'd be like, ah, this is really cool to see him in action. I think I hire really well. I think I pick it. I, I'm good at putting together the quadratic equation of different personality types and different types of people mm -hmm. in, a, in a situation that warrants it. It's like the mission impossible piece where not every situation requires the same group of people, but you're good at figuring out the right people, the right stage of business. Um, I think I'm good at that. I also think I'm good at creative execution, not just execution, which is kind of process oriented, but also creative execution, providing maybe some insight that's slightly different than what someone else would have come up with. And that's maybe more the entrepreneurial side yeah. to me. Um, I am dyslexic, so dyslexics are horribly, um, horribly confusing at times. You know, we misspell things, we're verbose. Um, I'll, I'll get people's names wrong, but we do tend to look at things a little bit differently. And in terms of creative execution around strategy, I think that's helped me quite a bit as I don't look at the same problem the same way someone else has looked at it. Yeah, that is a skill. I mean, that's an incredible person to have in the room, especially as a board member or a mentor, which I know that you are, you know, an active board member, or you've, you mentor people. Um, which separately, do you have any mentors aside from the coach? Yeah, these are great questions, by the way. In fact, before I forget, actually, my, I'm involved with Year Up, which is a great organization that helps yeah. um, young, uh, socially disadvantaged adults. Yeah. Is Mark Sherman still there? I don't At know. Year Up? I don't or know. Carol Caroline Paola? Yeah. It, Carolyn is, absolutely. Like, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, but my uh, Year Up Ment mentee uh just emailed me i got well met texted me actually just updating what, what is the commitment of that of europe for um for the the individual the, the young adult it's six six months of training and then six months paid internship the entire program is paid so that the idea is you can get someone who didn't have the same privileges as others um, in a situation where they're actively working in a job that kind of three to four X is their career. And so they're, they're ex massively accelerated in terms of their, their job success. Hmm. I should for, probably for, be doing some sort of investigative work to look into how I can be helpful there. It's, it's as, it's as easy as speaking there. If you wanted to do that, yeah. you could speak at a session or I actually did a six month stint. Actually it's a 12 month stint um, as a mentor. Um, to this young young man, yeah, and I plan to do more. But it's it's highly. I, you would be incredible at that. And do you have mentors or just the coach? I do. I have yeah. a couple. I I think the the one I I would call out today is actually somebody I met who is a board member of uh, Rosetta Stone. And since we're going private very very soon, uh, he won't be a board member of the public company Rosetta Stone. But Lawrence Franklin. Um, is I would call my, my coach and mentor. He's a um, fascinating guy, very smart, very dry wit, has executive presence like I've never seen before, super smart, um, was a former CEO of Coach and Toomey and has been oh, wow. a phenomenal coach for me. Yeah. Wow. That, that, that's incredible. You've had some amazing people that you've been surrounded by and I'm sure learning from them constantly and, and they're learning from you. My, my curiosity is always peaked around um, kind of workflow and how you work. And my question around it is like, what are your pet peeves? Like, what drives you crazy when you're working with people? Oh, uh, so my kryptonite is I don't have patience. I'm the same way. Like if somebody doesn't respond quickly, I, it bugs me. I've noticed that about you. <laughs> <laughs> to each That's his own, funny. but no, I, I, no, I noticed that I was like, yeah, it was, we're going back and forth on LinkedIn and you're like, are we meeting now? Are we meeting now? I'm like, whoa, she's faster than I am. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I just in general, um, I, I believe um, in my, my, this probably weighs into a little of my anxiety and a little bit of how I was brought up. My mom used to always say, 
utilize every minute because you don't know what's going to happen next. You could yeah. die tomorrow. And I was like, yeah. Jesus, you're right. <laughs> oh, God. So when people waste my time, I hate it. Yeah. Um, long meetings, I hate it. Uh, I have a very specific structure on how I like to see meetings. And if that's not quite replicated across other will you Will you share with, with me and with sure. whoever's listening? Hopefully we got someone listening. <laughs> um, what that structure is, because I would love to learn from you. Okay, sure. I, I maybe a little inattentive, and I have to be this way because I I am nonlinear in terms of how I think through things, and so I force myself into a box. So well, this me, is it's... why I like it because I'm nonlinear too. It's got like massive like ADD I'm all over the place, and same type of thing. Like I don't mm -hmm. have spelling errors because I don't I don't have dyslexia. I'm actually like really anal with my spelling, but I um, sometimes people are like, "What is she talking about?" Because <laughs> I just kind of. It's like stream of consciousness, bing, 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 like little, yep. little bits we're, of information very similar. versus I, I don't know how to produce um, really clean linear thoughts on paper. So I would love to know how you structure the meetings. I would argue that's not the case yet. This podcast is exactly what you believe in. And if you go to your, your site and, and people talk about what you're about, it's very clear what you're about. So Oh, well, thank you. I would argue. I would argue. No, I'm that. really clear what I'm about. And it's it's really hard for me to waver from that because it's like my DNA through and through. But I would love to be, I've always wanted to be like really process oriented. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but whatever. Okay, tell no, me about no. the meetings. I want to get to Rosetta Stone. So net, yeah, net, get to the yeah, meetings. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go fast. You okay. know, for, it's just simple. And like, it's very similar to what you'd read in any blog. You know, I do an agenda two days prior. With a, with a kind of a, an outline of what I think the core components are with minutes, people can submit their ideas. Uh, this is like a staff meeting. Let me, let me go broader than that. Um, agendas two, uh, two days prior. Um, the meeting is started on time. The um, objective and purpose of the meeting and how we're going to conduct the meeting is discussed at the beginning of the meeting. I do a quick assessment of whether we're double loading the meeting, you know, like the manager and the person who works for that person, you know, why are both of you in there? Yeah. That doesn't, you know, so trim it, trim the, trim the meeting. If you can have the meeting, um, meeting notes right afterwards that are very specific around action items. I try to do it within two hours of a meeting. Um, and that's it. I mean, that's that's, but that's kind of the, meeting. That, the meeting notes part is so crucial because when you yes. think about those meetings and you have them and then the ball is dropped because nobody took accountability around some sort of action. It's not great as a leader to feel like, OK, nothing ever came of that. And that's so common. Like we just talk about the same stuff. It never gets done. Um, so I think that's a crucial detail. I love that. I'm of course, staff, like, taking notes. Yeah, like my staff meetings, we do a one on one that's open and transparent so that we all post on a Friday before, and it's very specific, on a Friday before 5 p.m. PST. And I'll tell you why it's that way. In a large Google Doc by, and we have, um, you know, by date, and then the three or four themes for our business for the entire year, like for ours, our businesses, um, you know, drive traffic, uh, make an efficacious, product, brand relevance, and empower our team. You know, those those four themes, we put our weekly goals related to that underneath each of those items for all of us to see by person. And so what that does is when, by the time we get to a staff meeting, we're not talking about the, you know, the round robin of here's what I did last week, because we already know because we read it. Mm. And if there's feedback on that, we can do that in the document or we can do it in Slack. Or if there's enough, if there's conflict on something, that will be become an agenda item. So our staff meetings are really about strategy. They're not about tactics. Mm. And wow. I never send week, I never send email on a weekend. That's why it's 5 p.m. PST. I don't believe in sending email on a weekend. I used to do that all the time. And it just drove my teams nuts. And right. I don't do it anymore because people need a place where it's safe to collect their thoughts and, and be not in work. Yeah, that makes sense. Sometimes I send emails on the weekends, but I've told the team, I'm not expecting you to do anything. I just need to get it off my mind and off my plate and have somewhere for it to go. And I don't want to touch it twice, <laughs> but I do get that, you know, giving them a little break. Um, 
that makes sense. So tell me how you ended up getting this role at Rosetta Stone. And obviously, I feel like it's a household name. But for those people who don't know exactly what the company does, maybe you could share um, what you were brought in to do and what the company does. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, who's an executive recruiter, um, called me about this, this role. I, I was actually looking at doing a, a startup at the same time. And for a variety of different reasons, some personal stuff came up where this just made much more sense of where I was in my, in my life. And I immediately knew that this was in my sweet spot. It's the biggest brand in the world for what it does in terms of education. Everyone's heard of Rosetta Stone. Yeah, it's a public company job. So I'm a president public of a public company. And it's small enough where I felt like I could actually make a big difference very quickly. Right. So what have you done to help enhance like the already existing brand? And also, like, what's the business model of the company? Yeah, I mean, just take a step back, Rosetta Stone. Um, you know, well, we just, well, we're talking about we're, we just sold the company. We're not closed yet, but we're about to be closed. Um, but we announced we're selling the company on August 31st, um, just a little bit ago. So the company delivers uh, software and services um, to help um, anyone be able to learn how to read, write, and speak with confidence. Our software is used in K-12 schools for literacy purposes, used in conjunction with a teacher, but we also have a language group that I run that sells language services to both consumers as well as enterprises. Mm -hmm. And um, the business walking into it was uh, a situation where we had a growing literacy business called Lexia that's growing very, very well. And at the time, three years ago, the language business was not doing well, didn't have a growth strategy, um, had some problems with the technology platform, organizational structure, and the list continues. In fact, we're still kind of living in a perpetual CD world, believe it or not, just kind of on the tail end of that. Mm. So the challenge was, how do you take a brand that's widely known, but not necessarily relevant and change the business model, change the people, change the strategy, all in a public company environment that is quarter to quarter and very short term oriented. So it was, it was quite a challenge. Yeah, I'm sure. And so what is the, what language is like most, I'm guessing it's Spanish. What language is most commonly studied? Around the world, it's English. Oh yeah, I guess around the world it would be English. Yeah, a billion and a half people are studying English and not very well. I mean, still proficiency on speech production on English is, is pretty bad still. Um, uh -huh. So there, you know, there's a big need for language learning services. It's like a $50 billion market and 90% of that's offline. And so obviously the COVID C-19 situation has really transformed the digital piece to that, that equation. Oh, yeah. Well, I went on the website and I was like, can I send it to my mom? Because she keeps talking about wanting to learn Spanish. And I did um, Duolingo mm -hmm. a while ago. I don't know if that's even a competitor, but it was like an app that I downloaded maybe a year ago. Um, and I saw that like the pricing models, great. I mean, it's, it's very, I would say it's very affordable, but it looks like also there's some, I don't know if they're just right now a promotion happening or if you always have a promotion happening. Um, but how do you determine the pricing and like who are you competing against to come up with that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the way I kind of position what we do is we're really trying to effectively teach you a language so that you get proficient based on what you think proficiency is. So if you want so people learn language for a lot of different reasons, professional reasons, personal motivation reasons, social empowerment reasons. So if you're traveling and actually engaging with the culture, those are th three of the main reasons. I think, you know, Duolingo is definitely a competitor. There's another company called Babbel. Those companies, especially Duolingo has a free model where they've really decided to take a different route. They're much more of the casual game of the language learning space. So they're not necessarily trying to get you to be effective in learning a language. They're trying to get you to build a habit, kind of mm. like counting your calories. Mm. What we're trying to do is actually trying to get you to be proficient in, in that language, which is, which is harder. And so for us, we do charge a premium price because uh, we think we have the best product. And what, what's worked for us is actually selling a lifetime product where you can actually learn any language that yeah, you I want. Yeah, I saw that. And that's a good yeah. price too. What was that, like 190 yeah. or something? Yeah, 199 bucks. 199 Yeah, that's, yeah. that seems pretty worth it. 
that was yeah, like ongoing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's ongoing and we, you know, we account for it as a non-recurring two-year subscription. So it from a mm -hmm. revenue recognition perspective, it's it's a good compounding growth business for us. But more importantly, it, it it's kind of reintroduced the idea of Rosetta Stone to a modern digital native consumer. And it gives us the opportunity to sell those consumers more products. And we haven't yeah. introduced a lot of net new products for them, but that's obviously going to be the plan. Yeah. Is that a challenge? Because I, I remember when um, I first heard Rosetta Stone again for the first time in a while, I was like, wait, did I take that class when I was little? Like in my mind, I just thought of it as like old school. And is that a challenge? Like just the brand and, and targeting a younger audience? Yeah, no, it's definitely a challenge. In fact, what's been a bigger challenge is it's not like one of those brands that's so irrelevant, like, you know, trying to convince someone to use MySpace again. Yeah. It's not like that kind of challenge. It's more of a nostalgia brand. Um, and certainly we haven't had the capital to do broad-based brand marketing like some of the venture-based companies have. We have been on TV and we're starting to test more um, non-digital performance-based advertising, but we've mm -hmm. been primarily relegated to that because you know we've been a turnaround story as part of a public company and that that is going to change now that we're going private soon in a couple of weeks um but yeah i think the biggest competitor that we have is to be blunt that people don't know that rosetta stone has an app and those yeah. are digital products yeah and so it seems like you could do like a social media campaign of some sort to like build brand awareness of that product we do a ton of stuff in fact it's just it's not even a quick we're like the problem is we are the category owner, mm. but we're not necessarily relevant yet to consumers as a digital product. And we're working on it. I mean, we grew in Q2 90% year over year in our bookings. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine, so COVID, how has that impacted the business? Just that more people want, have more time to like learn a language or oh, that one thing I've been wanting to do, or people are like, what do you attribute that growth to? Well, certainly there was growth with COVID. I think, you know, not only us, but everyone else in the education space, Netflix, everyone who had some kind of digital product where you could, you know, either burn brain cycles on binge watching or actually trying to increase your IQ um, on, in your proficiency on something. There's certainly, you know, Masterclass, for instance, done really good business over COVID. Oh, it it yeah. was certainly a big bump. Um, but we saw a big bump prior to that because we did start leaning into this unlimited lifetime product that it's kind of like the Netflix of language learning and, and that's mm. continued to help us grow. And I think the, the COVID piece for us was helpful because we got to do some things that we weren't able to do otherwise. For example, we gave away a free three month subscription to any student in the world. Mm, and that got incredible. us a lot of news. And we did it not for to convert, to convert them into our business. We did that to convert uh, to actually help because we were hearing from our adult customers that, you know, parents, oh my God, I'm at home. I'm going crazy. Mm. I, my kid is on Fortnite. What am I going to have them do? And so I get that completely, you know, you know, the drill. Yeah. yeah. And we, we also introduced, uh, we have a tutoring arm to our business. So we actually do live digital tutoring in our products and we offer that for free for three months. And usually you don't see a lot of Americans get involved in tutoring. It's for, you know, we're, we're kind of lazy in languages. You know, we expect everyone to speak English, but that was extremely popular. And that introduced really kind of um, a new service to those customers they would not have normally have tried. So for us, it's been a big boon to reintroduce the Rosetta Stone brand back to primarily a US audience. 90% of our consumer business is US. Yeah. And how about you? Have you been a, a student? Have you taken on the challenge of learning another language? Yeah, you know, I'm like an off, I'm like the worst case because I go on and off of my Spanish. Um, yeah, I get that. And, and, that's, and that's, to be honest, the biggest hurdle with language learning in the United States is the motivation and the engagement around the experience. The outside the United States, different story, if you're working for a company, which we sell to many like um, Accenture and Philip Morris and Ford, GM, um, there's there's a job promotion tied to a certain level of proficiency. So you're motivated to transform your life. Um, just like if you're a kid trying to learn English outside the United States, you can get into the next best school and you can transform your life. 
it's a different use case outside the United States. Yeah, that that completely makes sense to me. I wish that it wasn't the case. I wish it was mandatory. Um, like apps, I mean, it is like in high school, but sometimes it is embarrassing the way that Americans have not just a lack of uh, knowledge of speaking various languages, but just even a lack of knowledge of places and geography around the world. It's just like very US centric kind of mentality, which is another conversation for a whole nother podcast. Mm -hmm. Like the world is such a, such a crazy shit show right now. Ugh. Absolutely. Well, it I mean, it feels here, crazy. Here's a here's another stat outside of language learning, and this is this is another shocker. Is two thirds of children in the United States by the time they get to third grade are reading below grade level, and that continues through eighth grade. Mm. And this is the richest country in the world, and we spend almost as much as anyone else per capita on education, and we we are losing even on reading literacy. Yeah, it's interesting because like with the election coming up and, you know, almost all the conversations right now are turning to the world, like versus just, you know, two years ago. And I was like, footloose and fancy free. I feel like we're in that moment of everything is so heated and so sensitive. And someone asked me, like, if I had to pick a single topic or issue, um, and I don't necessarily have one, but education's up there for me. I'm like, if mm -hmm. we're not, if we're not educated, <laughs> we're, we're losing. I mean, obviously we need health. Um, there's so much to be discussed, but, but education is something that I think everybody needs to wake up and pay way more attention to. Um, those are crazy statistics that you're talking about. So it must feel good to be, um, doing something positive for the world, right? Versus just kind of some cloud-based blah, blah company that's <laughs> moving something from somewhere to another place. Like, I don't know how else to explain it, but like the pitches that you know from that show um silicon valley like i'm saving yeah. the world from online procurement apis right or like you're things like, that you're like what? what are you even talking about yeah, yeah. absolutely no i you know i've told the story before but when my first week at joining a company i was i took a trip to palo alto and back and i was in an uber I was talking to my mom and i got out and the uber driver was obviously listening to me talk and he got out helped me with my bags and and i shook his hand he would not let go of my hand and he started crying and he said i want to wow. shake the hand of the man that has solved my child's reading problem oh, oh my gosh that's incredible i just got chills you can't yeah, see know it's, we turned off our video but just I, so you I, know <laughs> I, tell, I tell this story all the time people are like hey, there he goes again but it's a true story and i've and i hear this all the time uh on the language side too you know someone who needs to get to a b2 level which is kind of like intermediate level in language geek world so basically you can kind of be a normal business person and converse with someone you know audibly or, or typing and you know someone who's outside the united states trying to get a job at google for instance and they if they can't get to b2 they don't get to be the next you know manager level you know if you get them to where they need to be it's not just them that's that's being transformed. It's you know it's it's a transformational long-term legacy that that person's um, um, venturing down the road. Um, so it's it's it, and you get these emotional stories. So as as I think about, it, I, I'm actually kind of drifting off because I'm remembering all these interactions I've had with people, and it's very 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 awesome. It's a very yeah, transformational. I'm yeah. sure, and especially the timing could not be better for you um, to to be doing something like that in this type of moment, because I think it is a moment of reflection for people. Mm -hmm. And the pandemic has has had um, that forcing function, right? If you've got the luxury of even having space in your life, you can feed your family, you can work um, in any sort of extra time. I think a lot of people are doing much more soul searching than ever before. Um, and so when there's not meaning, either in a relationship or a job, I think it's coming to the to the uh, the forefront right now for people. Absolutely, so it's got to feel good. Um, so, how has the pandemic been for you personally? Like, how has it changed you, or are there any key takeaways as far as um, how you think you're going to live your life differently in in this new, I guess, this new norm? That's what we're going to call it. Yeah, like overall, I must say I'm one of those weird ones where I kind of like it. I kind of like working from home. Mm-hmm. Um, it's odd. I mean, to be honest, we sold the company. We started that process before the pandemic put on hold 
during the pandemic, business actually got better um, for a lot of reasons, remote first, a lot, of the, a lot of things we talked about. I actually got, um, I contracted COVID-19 in July. So I, I had it while I was trying to do this transaction. Mm. And so um, it is a serious virus, by the way, if anyone's listening is doubting it is very serious. Um, I would say overall, I, I, I've kind of viewed it and I framed it to my family this way is I kind of feel like we're astronauts on a spaceship and, you know, it, we're in space, it's cool, we're adventurers, but you got to be very careful when you go out into space and wear a, a space suit and mm-hmm. we, it may be a little too close for comfort at times, but heck, we're in space and it's kind of cool. And that's kind of what I've been telling myself for a while. Now I must say I'm getting a little tired of that analogy because I do want to land the spaceship and, and meet yeah. other folks and so I am getting a little a, a little chippy in terms yeah. of you know feeling isolated so I think that for me it's been um, trying to stay focused on habits healthy habits waking up working at the same time reading reading allocating time for myself mm-hmm. my wife actually started a beverage company a couple of years ago she was, she's running that out of the house Oh, that's well. really cool. Yeah, so and she's actually very focused on health and wellness. She um, started a non-alcoholic um, beverage company called Rock Race. And so she's selling a lot of that product. Um, it's kind of a, think of it as like a rosé alternative. She has, she has a Vuv alternative as well, and it's it's healthy. And and so she's, this is not a commercial for her business, but I, do, I <laughs> you know, why not? Um, so we have all this stuff going on. And I think for me, it's been, in a way, I've kind of like not traveling so much, but the lack of interactivity with human beings has started to wear on me. So yeah, yeah. Probably well, like getting getting COVID nineteen, you know, I feel like in the last week, and I don't even know what day it is today, but this recording I think will come out next week, hopefully. But it's October sixth, so in the last week, I've talked to a few people who have um, gotten COVID, and. Um, but in July, I hadn't really talked to people who had it. And I feel like there was all this, uh, like judgment around it. And mm-hmm. especially because of how quarantined you've been, I'm sure you were like, what the hell, why am I like the guy who gets this? Um, what was, what was the implications as far as your social life and, and even your work life when you told people? That's a good question. By the way, I'm not surprised that I got it. I actually got the swine flu in 2009. So if there's a oh, rotavirus okay. anywhere, I'll get it. Oh, no. I'm a lightning rod. I'm like, oh, a, I'm like uh, the doctors are like, man, you're going to be an interesting specimen and you pass yeah. it. I'm like, great, oh, thank you. No, but um, no, I think I think um, I haven't really widely talked about it too much because I do think there's a, a stigma to it. Yeah, which um, sucks. That's why I'm asking because I don't yeah. think it, I don't think it's fair. I'm so scared that I'm going to get it, and then because I'm such a people pleaser, like that will be worse. Is like having people feel judgy or angry or scared to be around me. <laughs> like, well, it's kind of funny because like after ten days, they're like you know the contact tracers call you and they're like, okay, go out and you know have a ball. I'm like, wait a minute, you really can't go out and have a ball, but you know I got a test again just to make sure I was negative, and I was, and no one in my family got it. Everyone was negative, and. Um, yeah, for me, like, it's interesting. I think the scariest part of this virus, and I think we're learning a lot about it, is that it's it's highly um, variable based on your biochemistry makeup. You know, it's not consistent uh, across every person. And for me, it was um, pretty pernicious. Like, I'd feel like, okay, and then all of a sudden, they have 103 degree temperature, and, and you feel like hell, and I never had to be hospitalized or anything. But it was definitely... I don't think I was ever really scared other than I just felt like hell for 14 days. I still can't smell that much. Oh my gosh. That's, this is after like, I don't know, almost three months. So it, it, it is a serious virus. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't generally go around and tell people, yeah, in July I had the coronavirus. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think I appreciate you. (laughs) 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 You're like, Hey, 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 me and the Corona, we're like, like best friends. (laughs) Oh my God. So what, what, what is like now, this is like a weird question next, but I am just super curious. You started talking a little bit about self-care, getting up, working out, whatever reading probably some gratitude in there i'm guessing or meditation um how do you just full-blown check out and relax yeah i don't think i actually do a good job of that yeah i mean yeah. a hot a hot tub a glass of wine a run 
No, I, I work out in the morning pretty religiously. Um, and, you know, I actually do like Headspace, the app, and I do, yeah. I do some form of, I always call it like major speed uh, meditation. I've actually done a lot of stuff like, you know, those flotation tubs. I've done the, oh, cry yeah. the, the cryo tanks. I've done like, my wife's kind yeah. of the body no, hacking. I'm into all that stuff too. So yeah. I wish that we were like, A, not in COVID, because I feel like we would be total BFFs and go do all these wonky <laughs> things together. Like, I'll meet you at the cryo tank. <laughs> I love all that stuff. I started I do doing, um, what's it called? Cranial sacral massage, like energy oh, sure. work. It's yep. really, it's really yep. good. It's really um, good. Um, oh, what's it called? Yeah. So the, yeah. yeah, what's it called? Uh, Reiki. Oh, Reiki's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all similar. I love all that stuff. Me too. It, and it could just be some sort of, um, it could just be mental, but I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm taking care of myself. So that's good. Um, and so it sounds like you're really would put yourself in the camp of very much like growth mindset type of person. Um, oh, yeah. So as you continue to grow and stay open-minded and, and willing to try new things, what do you hope will be? You mentioned tombstone. I say that comment all the time. You're like the only other person. We have our hammer, velvet hammer. We have the tombstone. <laughs> Are you a Scorpio? I'm a Taurus. Are you? Oh, not a Taurus. <laughs> My husband's a Taurus. Oh, I know. It's, um, it's a party, isn't but it? But what? It's such a party. <laughs> <laughs> Stubborn. So yep. what? What? What do you hope will be on your tombstone? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I always like the, I wouldn't put this on my tombstone, but I don't know why this popped into my head, but I like the Groucho Marx quote, I'll never join a country club. They'll have me for a member. <laughs> so you were like, like being like, like I'm not a, not a joiner. Like I lived and I lived my own life. Kind yeah. Of thing. I, yeah. I, I, you know, I lived I according to my own rules. Kind yeah. Of I don't particularly care what people think about me. I don't think, I don't particularly care about what anyone's opinion of me is. Uh, I, God, I care. I like that's where we're different. I care too much. That's amazing. That's such a gift to yourself. Well, I used to, but yeah, but you're I a mean, super likable guy. I mean, you're a very, very likable person. And I would imagine there's not many people who don't like you unless you're micromanaging them. Oh, there's people that don't like me. Like so, uh, if someone recently said, Matt, you're so amiable, I said, Yeah, well, sure, but I'm not amicable. Oh, well, that's okay. Yeah. I and think it, you, it, I think amiable uh and not amicable makes you likable like it's all good <laughs> my god these are deep words no but i, I no i think I, I think for if you can kind of get out of your own way and be a good citizen mm -hmm. um and you know do give back do live through you know generally accepted values like integrity is a big deal for me and passion uh for life and if you can actually you know live that authentic life without getting in the way of other people's belief systems around you, you're going to be happier. I mean, it's very hard to do. Yeah. Someone comes in and says, I don't like the job that you're doing. Or if your listeners are saying, you know, my board of directors, I'm the founder of a startup and they, they fired me and they put someone else in. Well, that could have been the right decision. Maybe not, but it's not, it could be a reflection of you, but mm -hmm. I view those things as opportunities. You just yeah. keep moving forward. Yeah. It's like, and I'm a huge Winston Churchill fan and, and there's so many great Winston Churchill quotes about, being persistent and optimistic through failure and boy if, if if everyone would stop being so focused on their own super ego and just continue to view life as a journey and live um their own truth then i think we all be happier uh, yeah well said i there's a lot of winston churchill books i'm gonna go look for one for you um, I keep seeing them. And I, there's a lot of people who talk about Winston Churchill being an influence for them. I'm like, gosh, I was asleep. I didn't quite realize, but now I do. So thank you. My final question that I ask everyone is what fuels you? But I feel like you already answered it, like living your truth or something, but, but I guess you could articulate it. Yeah, I would say that. I mean, living your, living your own honest life. Yeah. Amen. Mic drop. I love it. And, you know, I, I love trying to, enable my teams to do that, whether they want to stay working in my group, my team, my business, or, or outside of that. I, I just love it when I hear success stories and people yeah. who are more, a lot more successful and well-known than myself, because I don't really matter in the whole equation and I don't really care either. 
it, I, I get a lot of joy out of seeing other people become really successful. And if I had a little part in that, that really makes me happy. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm super grateful for your time and getting to know you more. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks for having me. Okay. Of course. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.